and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solvetto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solvetto EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I'm Tobias, I'm back again with Uzi. What's up? Good morning, Toby. I'm about a week away from starting my summer vacation. No major plans though. Hopefully getting some work done with the house because there's still plenty of small detailing to be done. The goal is to spend some time outdoors, eating well, exercising, relaxing. But I also realized this is the first time in 10 years that we are actually spending the summer vacation in Finland. Normally we're traveling, but now since obviously we want to work on the house, so we decided let's stay at home and hopefully enjoy the nice weather. The plan is to take six weeks off, stop for a moment, reflect a bit on the upcoming months, the couple of years ahead of us, goals, hopes, challenges, and we want to achieve with the family. Perhaps ask me in August how that went. We'll do that. On my side, we've been planning the summer holidays here. So we'll be heading to a huge water park with the kids for about half a week or so to kick things off and then got some fun adventures throughout Sweden to visit friends and family. So more like a staycation this year. We're not going abroad except for the water park, which is in Denmark, but that's still fairly close to where we live. It'll be a nice time to kind of wind down from the first incredibly rewarding year at Microsoft for me. So also here, taking some time for reflections and yeah, just taking a, a full month off to uh, yeah, contemplate on life and all the things, and then come back with full energy after vacation as well. So that's going to be exciting. Sounds nice. A couple of community highlights. Um, embeddings are vectors. This is a blog article from Davide Mauri, and he takes a look at what vector databases are, why do we need them, and how they can be used in Azure SQL. So you can find the community highlights on the show notes. Interesting bits we've found around the internet. Uh, anything from you, Toby, on community highlights? I did find an interesting article that's in the Microsoft Tech Community by Vinod Sony about Azure OpenAI GPT models used to review PRs or pull requests in Azure DevOps. So as we know, the AI landscape, as we've talked about quite a lot recently, it's exploding. So that's just another tool in the bucket using Azure OpenAI GPT to review PRs for Azure DevOps. And, you know, every time we read some of these updates or take a look at what happens in AI, we realize that the future arrived already some time ago and we already live in the future, looking at all the advancements in this space. So it's really exciting. So we'll put that link as well in the show notes. You can take a look. Good stuff. So today we have a special guest, Mr. Oskari Heikkinen is joining us. And he's one of the most knowledgeable people on Microsoft Fabric and data platforms. He's also a Microsoft Data Platform MVP. Welcome, Oskari, and very glad you could join us. Please introduce yourself. Awesome. Thanks so much for the invitation. Happy to be here. So hello, good morning. My name is Oskar Heikkinen, for the past decade or so, I've been working solely on Microsoft data platform. So currently I run my own one-man consulting company where I help Microsoft customers and partners to get most out of their data platform investments. Awesome. So today's episode, we will be focusing on Microsoft Fabric, sort of like what it is. And 
I, I think I know something about it, but not that much really. And and Oscar, before we let you sort of take us through the, the essence of what Microsoft Fabric is, Toby, what do you know about Microsoft Fabric? Because it's not the same as Azure Service Fabric, which I know you know fairly well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for putting me on the spot there. So <laughs> I know that Fabric, it's like about simplifying analytics. You're bringing analytics to everyone uh, across like one uh, umbrella. And and I'm just going to, you know, randomly try to remember everything here. It's all the things in you know, that you're used to under one umbrella, like Power BI, Data Factory, Data Activator, I think there's something called Synapse Data Engineering, Synapse Data Science, Synapse Data Warehouse, Synapse Real-Time Analytics, like, and you can probably go on, I'm probably missing some as well. Like a really short kind of high level, what is it? It's simplifying analytics, bringing that to everyone, making sure it just gets easier. That's kind of my take on it. Then I'm, I might be, you know, on a, on a wild goose chase here, but yeah, that that's pretty much it. And we've all been exposed to, or many of us have been exposed to different angles of what is now considered inside of Fabric. Like Power BI is a very common thing. Uh, you know, everyone has opened a, a report in Power BI, for example. You know, you may or may not know that you've been exposed to what is known as, as Fabric one way or the other in the past. But that's it. That's my high level. But I'm going to hand it over to the expert here to answer. What is Microsoft Fabric and why do we need to care about it? Thank you, Tobias, and thank you for the introduction. I think you, like on a high level, you pretty much have like very good understanding on what what Microsoft Fabric is. You mentioned quite a few services there already, and and uh, what they have in common is is that they're all part of Microsoft Fabric now. And uh, if we go back in time for say two years or so, most of those services used to be under the same um, umbrella of Synapse Analytics. So one way to describe Fabric would be that it's an evolution of Synapse actually. However, Synapse is platform as a service and now Fabric is being offered as software as a service. So in other words, it's even easier to deploy deploy those uh, analytics engines from scratch, like Tobias mentioned, this is even easier to get get started with. Also, it's not just the same services now offered as SaaS. We also get major new releases of each of these experiences in Fabrics. Fabric. So as an example, the data warehouse in Fabric is not the same data warehouse you have used in Synapse. It's not the dedicated SQL pool, and it's also not the serverless SQL pool. The experiences or, or workloads in Fabric are serverless by nature. So we're looking at something that is going to be and feel more closer to what the serverless SQL pool was. But it's again, it's not the same, same engine there running under the hood. So definitely, this is not just rebranding. We have a lot of new stuff, a lot of new tech in Fabric. So at the same time, as Tobias mentioned, if you are familiar with the services uh, such as Data Factory, it's going to help you a lot when learning Fabric. For instance, the data ex- data in the integration experience in uh, Fabric is totally based on Data Factory. So if you already know Data Factory, you're ready to start creating integrations on Fabric from day one. So it will be a a lot easier to leap on on Fabric if you have 
already, or if you're already familiar with with the technologies that you mentioned. Okay, uh, this clarifies it quite a bit for me. So it's a, it's a SaaS foundation that gathers together plenty of the services we know before, but they are sort of like new incarnations and new generations of those services. But then I also saw a graphic that has the data factory, Azure Data Factory, some of the Synapse services like Synapse Data Engineering, Synapse Data Warehousing, Synapse Data Science, Synapse Real-Time Analytics and Power BI. But then across all of these services, there's something called One Lake. I know what OneDrive is, and, and I'm sort of thinking this has something to do not really with OneDrive, but with the idea of, of being sharing or managing something in one instance. So, so what is one lake? Is it part of Microsoft Fabric or is it an extension? And and why do we need it? Yeah, a very good question. One lake is the storage layer of Fabric. This is the single unified logical SaaS data lake for the entire organization. And the workloads that you mentioned all can both read and write the data in one leg. So the idea here is that we're breaking down the silos. So in Synapse, we had se uh, several different compute engines and they all had their different storage options there, which actually meant that you weren't actually connecting to the data. You needed to use the other processing engine to, to get the data to the other side. Right now with, with Fabric, that goes away and we can actually directly connect to the storage layer with each of these uh, different experiences that we, ha we have on Fabric today. So that is like uh, with one like, uh, one like, that is one data like then for all of your organization and you only have one copy of the data, right? So you don't have to have all these distributed copies or different systems that you connect to. Is that kind of the entire idea here that all the data stays in you know one lake and that is kind of the one single point of truth for the data you have and then all the analytical engines connect to this kind of one data yeah that's that's one of the one of the driving ideas there you can minimize the data movement between different technologies you you can minimize the amount of integration you can build because you can share the data that you already have on one leg and just basically we can choose the tool that is that uh, is is the right one for your purpose. Although what do you need to do with your data? You can pick and choose the tool based on that, and just connect to the data and, and get started right away. Okay. So minimizing the integration would be one, but also breaking down the silos in organization. Because what we've learned so far is that when you go to basically any any given organization today that is building on data lake what they have is not just one azure data lake storage storage account they have multiple of those for different business units for example so we try to break down the silos between organizational units with this one as well so the idea is is also to enable to share the data between units a lot easier when all the that data is a single is in a single location. Okay, so gathering my thoughts here, now understanding a bit more that one lake is sort of the unified storage for all of these capabilities. 
and Microsoft Fabric, based on some of the marketing materials I saw from Microsoft Build, it includes data engineering, data factory, data science, data warehouse, real-time analytics, and Power BI as one service. But we also came to the conclusion that this is not just a rebranding. So have the actual services changed in practice? What I think here is that perhaps there's a company that's building an integration solution already with Azure Data Factory. Should they now sort of stop all of that work, uh, learn Microsoft Fabric and then resume? Or can they continue, let's say with Azure Data Factory, can they continue and still benefit from Microsoft Fabric? So at this point, I would take a look at what fa Fabric has to over, uh, offer and see whether that makes sense in your specific scenario. Most likely it will. Um, when it comes to how to migrate to Fabric, it ob obviously depends on what are you running today, what have you invested on. In the case you you're using the data lake or data lake house approach where all your data is, is stored in Azure Data Lake Storage Gen 2 storage accounts, for instance. That is something that you can just really easily bring into one lake with a shortcut, which is basically a symbolic link uh, to your storage account. And you can, from that point onwards, you can just connect to that data using those experiences that you mentioned. So the migration for in, in that scenario is, is going to be super straightforward because you can just create a shortcut and be be basically done with it. So it depends on the on the scenario, but I would definitely have a look at this point and understand what Fabric has to offer. And, and uh, I think when it comes to migrations, then it depends on where your data is actually stored at the moment. But the easiest and the most simple scenario is, is the one where you have your all your data in Azure Data Lake Storage Gen 2 already. So thinking about there, you mentioned migrations, that something that comes to mind is what about all the existing solutions you have? So imagine we're getting a huge push saying, hey, take a look at Microsoft Fabric. Um, it connects Power BI, it connects your data warehouses, your data lakes, your whatever. And you already have Power BI with reports and data sources spread out. You already have data warehouses and you already have data lakes. You already have a bunch of these things you know, prior to Microsoft Fabric being announced, you already had these architectures set up. You already have systems in place. You have data repositories spread out. Is there something we kind of need to re-architect? Do we need to consider anything to kind of start adopting the Microsoft Fabric ecosystem as a whole? Or do we have to keep using these services independently somehow? Or like, is there an architectural kind of decision that we need to understand here or do we need to migrate the data to a new location to make use of Microsoft Fabric? Yeah, so in the best case scenario, you are storing the data in your storage account into Delta Lake format. And in, in that case, the migration would would actually just mean that the di these different experiences can, can leverage the that da data uh, immediately in that native format and basically no migration needs to be done whatsoever. So Delta Lake is the open source format that one, that these experiences right now use 
to store all of the data. So obviously, when you're building something like this, you need to have some sort of an agreement between these processing engines that what's the unified data format when storing data to one lake. And that's where Delta Lake comes in. So I would have a look at, can we save the data into Delta Lake format with our currently existing setup? And uh, does it change something from architecture perspective? Yes, the Power BI can right now in Fabric connect directly to Delta Lake tables that are on one leg. So you don't need processing engine between, between your Power BI reports and the data sitting on the storage layer. So that is a thing, like I think a really, well, at least for me, a really big architectural change. Because right now you can get rid of one step that you used to do previously, basically every single time. So by default, organizations were ingesting their data into a relational database just to enable the Power BI reporting. So whether it's an Azure SQL database, Synapse SQL, dedicated SQL pool, and uh, or Microsoft SQL ser Server for that matter, we can right now get rid of that unnecessary step and just use the data directly from one leg. So that is a big improvement here. And, and again, enables us, us to have a faster time to insight. Okay. I'm I'm hearing Delta Lake and and an agreement between data formats, and I'm always thinking, why not just use CSV files? It's it's the best format for everything. <laughs> so so on on data lakes, then I am sometimes seeing a mention of data lakes and and Azure Data Lake services, of course, but then data lake houses, and I understand that perhaps data lake houses is somehow relevant to Microsoft Fabric. So so what's a data lake house then and how does it map to Microsoft Fabric? Yeah, so in this context, okay, let's define things. So you mentioned that the one lake is basically our OneDrive for, for data. We want to put all the data that we want, that we want to use in, for our analytics purposes into one lake. And Lakehouse right now is about organizing that data to have some, some sort of structure and format so that you don't end up with that data swap. So that's where Lakehouse come, comes in. It adds the basically the, for instance, the schema and other metadata, which which enables faster, faster operations for all of these engines as well, stuff like compression data compression, which ultimately under the hood are enabled by the Delta Lake framework as well. So lake houses are about organizing the data on one lake for uh, into tables. Okay, it's it's becoming more clear to me now. So so perhaps someone listening to this is already building perhaps a data integration or an analytics solution, and I now understand you can use Microsoft Fabric for plenty of different things. And we already sort of established that if you want some of the new capabilities, perhaps you should look into migrating your existing solutions to Microsoft Fabric then. But do you see now that Microsoft Fabric, that is the future? So let's say a year or two from now, perhaps nobody's building like separate 
Azure Data, Azure Data Factory with Power BI, but there are instead everybody's sort of looking into Microsoft Fabric and aiming to build the solutions within Microsoft Fabric. Really good question. Personally, I've been uh, I've been believing into the Data Lake House Data Lake House vision for several years now. So basically, building your data warehouse on top of a data lake so that you can you enable not just the traditional business intelligence type of reporting but also advanced analytics and machine learning use cases on the single data on a, that is stored in a single location that just makes so much sense so i i'm a big believer of that type of an approach so i'm just glad that microsoft has right now announced fabric that also uh, aligns with with that so this is what their vision is right now about and, and uh, how this one really works under the hood. Okay, fair enough. Sometimes I recall hearing perhaps there's a company building their own data warehouse solution and then they casually mention, yeah, yeah, we want to go with Azure and Power BI and Azure Data Factory and SQL Data Warehouse capabilities. But then we also want Snowflake or Databricks or something from a third party because Microsoft doesn't have a relevant service for something very specific. Would you say now that with Microsoft Fabric, you would get everything under the umbrella of Microsoft Fabric, or are you still sort of foreseeing that we need third party capabilities to, to uh, enrich the capabilities of the data platform on Azure? I think, most of the, the data data developers would probably sh share the same feeling that I've had for the past two or three years now that we need something new in order to be able to compete in the market. We're lacking some of the capabilities that that some of these products that you mentioned bring. And uh, now the way I see it, the big release is here. We can. Uh, basically do everything we need with Fabric right now. So that is that's right now the answer to all those needs. So we get get a new scalability serverless solution out of the box. We can do the advanced analytics and machine machine learning type of scenarios really easily uh, with the out of the box tools with this one as well. So to me, what I'm curious about is like the the use cases here. What are the what are customers using Microsoft Fabric for today, or why why are they looking at it? Like, what are the are there some example projects? Are there some example kind of use cases organizations have for this? Because I obviously can build whatever with this type of solution. But what is a typical solution? What is a typical kind of use case for an organization to start looking at this? I think they will first try to start easy. So with the, with the traditional uh, business intelligence type of use cases where they, they're currently already using Power BI. So they're looking into how can we leverage fabric in that and uh, maybe take that one step, one unnecessary step of the architecture away by ingesting the data into a relational database that will well 
help them tremendously with the amount of work that they need to do. One one crucial big step less to implement, and uh, then I I guess this is one of those scenarios where you first need to know how to walk before you can run. So I think it's a good idea to start with the with the traditional BI use cases, build on top of that, and then from that extend to the machine learning use case. Okay, so for somebody perhaps listening on this and they want to get started with Microsoft Fabric, any sort of tips, where where should they start? Should they just go to fabric.microsoft.com, enable the trial and, and get building on something? Or what do you find has been most challenging for you when when you've been learning this new platform? Yeah, I would definitely encourage everyone to do the steps that you mentioned. That's that's the way I did it myself as well. The best way to try all of this stuff is just to have a look at it with the trial, which is free of charge. So you get you can get right now uh, fabric for sixty days just by enabling the trial and uh, because based on based on what i'm hearing with with all the build announcements it's quite on a high level and uh, yeah i think it's a good idea to have a look at the, look at those first but after that i would just dive into her head first with with all of the tech and and start just to create stuff because it's a saas service you really Gonna gonna be creating a lot of stuff in minutes with this one, and that's the best way for me to learn. Obviously, the Microsoft Learn has the Fabric documentation, so I would have a look at uh, that one as well. Though so those are currently the main sources of information for for me and how how did I learn how 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 I learned uh, Fabric. Okay, I'm I'm often impressed when Microsoft is announcing something new, like Microsoft Fabric, and then when you go to Microsoft Learn, there's already like a like a learning path with with hours and hours of content. I haven't had a chance to look at those yet, but we'll dig out the links and definitely share those on the show notes as well for anybody wanting to get started with Microsoft Fabric. So. Let's talk a bit about cost and pricing, and we don't really have to go to detailed cost. But the challenge for me always was when I was estimating a sort of uh, data integration or data analytics solution for a customer is that we would say, okay, we need Azure Data Factory. But the pricing on Azure Pricing Calculator, it's impossible to estimate. There's so many small capabilities, and you don't really know how many capacity units or how many transactions you're getting before you actually build something and see how it performs. And typically for Power BI, you would need the pro license, which is sort of like a fixed fee per user. Everything else was sort of a guesstimate. Is it any easier now on Microsoft Fabric to estimate cost and pricing? Or is it more that you decide what features you're going to be using and then you're looking those up individually and try to estimate the total cost per month. So what Microsoft has done with Fabrics license, licensing, to me it looks like they went with the Power BI licensing model. So basically they renamed the Power BI licenses to Fabric licenses right now. 
when it comes to fabric and the experiences that we have discussed, you'll need to purchase dedicated capacity. The good news is that all of these different workloads or experiences in fabric use the same capacity. So the licensing right now is actually easier than what it used to be. So it's really cheap and easy to get started. The cheapest F2 license is around $260 per month right now. So you can you can start off with that and, and get started. Okay. So so if I buy the dedicated capacity and let's say I go with the with the cheapest one, what happens? Do you know what happens if I now create the greatest Power BI dashboard ever created and it's just consuming all of the capacity? Is Microsoft giving me a pop-up, hey you so you need to buy more capacity? Or are they throttling and saying, yeah, you need to come back tomorrow to get an update on your Power BI? Or is it still something in between that it's sort of in preview that let's wait and see? Because to me, always with capacity, the problem is I don't know how much I'm going to need when I'm initially starting on something. Like back in the day with Azure SQL, you would have the DTUs, the data transaction units. You would never know if you need 10 or 100 DTUs. So you would just start with the slowest one and then scale up when you wanted to. Would you say, or are you seeing the same in Microsoft Fabric that you could start with the cheapest skew on the capacity and then scale up from there when the demand arises? The same kind of approach would definitely work here as as well. When it comes to what happens when you use all up all of your capacity, uh, to my knowledge, they will throttle it at the moment. I've understood that there will be will be monitoring solutions to help you understand that what, what actually happens and what do these different workloads actually, how much capacity do, do they, they take so that you can actually understand what's going on and, and uh, help you plan the amount of capacity that you'll need. Okay, this is this is good news. I'm more than exhausted on on now everything on Microsoft Fabric. Toby, anything you would like to like to add before we wrap up for the episode? Yeah, I don't think so. There's some good information in this, and there's I, I do have some questions around like security. How do you manage security? Where does the data live? Can you do regulatory kind of compliance? checks and how do you do auditing, which is in itself another episode that we can revisit and, and tackle those things. Because that, I think that's, um, for me, coming from working a lot with compliance and security and managing data, and where's the data living in my data state. Now, looking here, Microsoft Fabric, you t you're tying all the data into one analytics engine or tying multiple analytics en engine in into the data you have. Uh, data can be in different places. Data can be in the one lake. How do I deal with that? How do I deal with data sovereignty? How do I deal with customers that I have in the US that wants to tap into the data that is hosted in Europe now or the other way around? Does that break any of the GDPR regulations, any of the cloud acts or anything else? Like there's a lot of these kind of questions I want to explore, but I know that that will probably take us at least another full episode. So for now, I think this is really relevant and good information on Microsoft Fabric, getting started, trying to understand like the, the moving parts uh, of that. And uh, I'll, I'll put a pin down in my calendar to uh, revisit with all the kind of architectural and security considerations, because that's something I want to 
pick your brain on as well. Cool stuff. Uh, the last bit we have is the unexpected question. And Oscar, I have an unexpected question for you. Are you ready? Shoot. The world's most dangerous golf course is called Camp Bonifas. It's located close to the DMZ between South and North Korea. And I read this on Wikipedia. It features machine guns and landmines, and it's surrounded by minefields. So what do you think the green fee is over there if you want to go and play a round of golf? And does the green fee include a bulletproof vest? <laughs> wow. Was that the, on the Wikipedia article as well? or? or <laughs> this, this was my thinking that do you need one or not? Because you're gonna gonna be playing there during your summer vacations as well. I have no idea. Fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair was enough. I close? Um, I have no idea. So, would you bring your own bulletproof vest, or would you trust if you go there that they would have one that fits you? I would probably have my own backup just in case they're not giving me any. But on the other hand, hand if it's like on a minefield, I'm not sure sure if a bulletproof vest is, is of any help. <laughs> sounds sounds good. Uh, just as a side note, uh, on, on one of my latest travels, I had a chance to watch the new Extraction 2 movie on Netflix. And they shoot so many people in there. Everybody has a bulletproof vest, but it doesn't really do anything. If somebody shoots you and you have the vest on, nothing happens. You can just continue fighting. So, so that that's my uh, mental image. If you go there and perhaps your golf ball lands in the minefield, you'll, you'll just have your vest and you're all good. Alrighty. Thank you, Oscar, for joining us. We'll add your contact details and everything we discussed in the show notes. So make sure to have a look at those. And thanks everybody in the audience for joining us. See you next week. All right. See you then.